Now today, I, my message would be a little different, because my message is, in a sense, based on this book. Don't get afraid, I still believe that the Bible is something we should preach on. But this book is based on another book, and that book is based on this book, all right? This one is based on a book, and the one that is based on is this book. And we're going to make our way through that this morning. Happy, happy, discovery. I was just wondering to see the response as to whether anybody was going to say Columbus Day. Because those are dangerous words to say today. Columbus Day. But you know, I grew up calling this day Columbus Day. Isn't that right? Christopher Columbus, our discoverer, quote-unquote, is regarded today with mixed emotions, to say the very least. Many right now probably are protesting these Discovery Day celebrations. As I said, remember, we used to call it Columbus Day. But these folk who protest do not view Christopher Columbus as a discoverer, but as a killer. They do not view him as a Christian, but as a heathen. They do not view him as a discoverer, as I said, but a desperado. He is seen as a selfish, gold-hungry plunderer. A man who is responsible for the genocide of the Arawak Indians and the introduction of slavery into our hemisphere. In fact, one writer makes this comment. Columbus had no idea what he faced. For all the wrong reasons, he set out to do the right thing. Notice the emphasis here is on the wrong reasons. In another article entitled, Christopher Columbus was a man with an obsession, appearing in the same issue of The Guardian that I got that original quote from, Levin also says this, quote, all, un all Europe needed at that time was a man like Columbus, a man with an obsession. But in his context, he meant an obsession to discover land and gold. The author of the film script for the movie, Christopher Columbus, Search for Paradise, dogmatically declared that Columbus's motive for coming to the new world was that he was driven by a lust for treasure. Another writer said, in derision, Columbus was a man who did not know where he came from, where he went, or how he got there. Now, some of that is true, but not all of it. But, you know, based on research I did some years ago for a paper while still in seminary, reading some of these articles on Columbus has convinced me that these authors I just quoted either have not been exposed to a book that Columbus himself wrote about why he did what he did as an adventure, adventurer and explorer, especially his trip to the Bahamas, which we call the first landfall in this new world, 
Either they were not aware of this book, or they just simply chose to ignore it in their writings. Something, by the way, that many revisionists of history are known to do, and like to do. You see, at this time, this was in the 70s, just around the quincentennial time, 2,000 years, but just before that, I should say, and sometimes in 1970, a researcher had rediscovered this particular book written by Columbus. It had a strange name. It was called the Book of Prophecies. Now remember, they're talking about someone they call a killer, a murderer, and so on. His book was called a Book of Prophecies. And some have said there are more scripture references in that book than Columbus's own contribution. The Book of Prophecies. Its contents were even more fascinating and startling to many. It sets out to explain in Columbus's own words the primary overriding reason why he undertook his voyage across what he called the Sea of Darkness to the islands of the sea in a new world. The book is written in Latin and Castilian. One historian said of the book, quote, the most striking thing about it is that it shows the admiral's extensive knowledge of the Bible. He continues, the title in Castilian is Prophecies which the Admiral Don Christopher Columbus gathered together concerning the recuperation of the holy city of Jerusalem and concerning the discovery of the Indies addressed to the Catholic monarchs. That's Isabella and Ferdinand. Now, Don, of course, the word Don, it's a title of distinct, it's distinguished, it's a very prestigious title. His reference to the recuperation of Jerusalem refers to his obsession of helping to free Jerusalem from the Islamics who had just taken over again. They captured the city, and they were trying to get it back. And Columbus seems to have an obsession of help, of helping to free that by finding gold on his voyages. Another Colombian historian alludes only briefly to this book, and this is what he says, quote, the time to spare, referring to the period between his third and fourth voyages, when he was waiting for an answer from King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella for a request to be reinstated at Viceroy of the Islands he had discovered, Columbus compiled a curious book of prophecies. Notice the little phrase, curious? Consisting of passages from the Bible and other sources which could possibly be interpreted as predicting the discovery of the new world. With the inference that he, Columbus, was the man whom God had chosen both to accomplish this and to restore the Holy Sepulchre to Christendom. End of quote. Now, it's amazing to me that this person could say, possibly be interpreted as fashion, because that was the main thesis of the book, that God had put his hand on him to help free Jerusalem and to carry the gospel to the islands of the sea. But yet, this historian, and this is the only mention they had of it, he said could possibly be interpreted. And that was the main thesis of the writings. It's amazing. 
The other historians that I consulted in this research do not even mention the book. Now, I have to be fair because sometimes, actually, some of them wrote before the book was discovered. The title designates Columbus's great passion to restore Jerusalem to Christians. The reason why he undertook his journey to what he called the Indies. Now, he wasn't thinking of the West Indies. He was thinking that they were islands of Japan and China and all of that. And the fact that, and this is something else that most people miss, it seems, and the fact that Ferdinand and Isabella were the Christian monarchs who sponsored him. You see, research shows you that these were committed Catholic Christians, and they wanted to spread the gospel as well. Along with Columbus, they actually saw themselves as missionaries taking the gospel to the islands of the sea as predicted by Holy Scriptures. That's why he calls it the Book of Prophecy. He saw himself and the monarchs as fulfilling prophecy. But have you ever read that in any of the histories of Christopher Columbus? Each of these aspects I've mentioned here in these quotes is important to understand the rest of the story of the man whose extraordinary feat we celebrate today and who has been so grossly misinterpreted by present-day historians. They seem to have no concern for the spiritual aspect of the voyage of Christopher Columbus. Hardly anyone mentions the spiritual perspective when it comes to Christopher Columbus. And yet, reading his book of prophecies, it was a spiritual aspect that motivated him to do what he did. Amazing. Now, I take time today to look at this because of that spiritual significance. The spiritual significance it gives to the holiday that is often, if not always, not referred to. I sincerely doubt that you will get this kind of information from any other place than right here. You won't hear this anywhere else. And that's my justification, by the way, for not giving a pure biblical exposition of the word this morning, as I normally do. But I trust what I do present this morning represent our contribution to these celebrations from a biblical perspective, nonetheless, a biblical perspective, and we'll bring it together at the close. August J. Klein wrote in 1972, as he was in the process of still translating the newly rediscovered manuscript for publication of the Book of Prophecies. He was still in the process. This is what he wrote in that year, 1972, uh, issue of the Moody Monthly, and I quote. Now, I'm going to be quoting extensively here from this book and others because I want you to get the historical context, not just what I say about it. Quote, The book of prophecies written by Columbus was a careful compilation of all the teachings of the Bible on the subject of the earth, distant lands, seas, population movements, 
undiscovered tribes, prophecies of the future spread of the gospel throughout the whole world, prophecies of travel between distant places, prophecies of the end of the world, and the establishment of the earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. Have you ever heard that in the history you've been taught in school? He believed that Christ's return and the formation of his universal kingdom could not take place until all nations and tribes of the distant isles has been evangelized. He believed that his own name given to him in holy baptism was a special sign that God had predestinated him to be the evangelist. His name was Christophorus, Christ Bira who would open to the unreached tribes of the distant isles the saving knowledge of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did any of your teachers ever tell you that? As Columbus urged his near-mutinous sailors to sail on through the uncharted seas in the fall of 1492, his zeal and assurance were not derived from love of avenger or greed, or greed for gold and glory, but were founded wholly upon the revealed Word of God in Scripture. End of quote. Have any of your teachers ever told you that? But more recently, 1990, that's when I was uh, just before, after I did my research. Kay Brigham, a theologian and a, and a church historian, wrote a book. That book was based upon Columbus's Book of Prophecies. And she did it in commemoration of the quincentenary of the discovery of America. She named it Christopher Columbus, his life and discovery in the light of his prophecies. It is printed in Barcelona, Spain, by M.C.E. Horeb. I tried to find that book in Nassau. I went to my brother who uh, does, you know, he has a bookstore and all of that. No one had it. In fact, I finally was able to find it in Florida. People say they had just gotten a shipment. Now, I want you to listen to the extracts from her book, the book I'm holding in my hand right now. And I can hold it in my hand because you can't find these too readily. Even on Amazon, check it out. You'll see, you get, get some used copies here and there, but it's amazing. This is what she says on page 78. Quote, Without the influence of the Bible on his mind and will, Columbus would not have had sufficient strength to overcome obstacles and carry out so bold an enterprise. End of quote. Was it for gold, this voyage? Yes, but not primarily for himself. Not even primarily for his Bacchus, Isabella, and Ferdinand. It was not even primarily to discover a new land for discovery's sake, although that motivation was there. Listen to these startling words written by Columbus himself to the then king and queen of Spain concerning his lifelong passion to restore Jerusalem to its Christian origin. It's a long quote, but I think it's important for us to see the context. Now, you can probably find this in history books, this letter, because some of his letters to the queen are, in fact, in print easy to find, but the significance is lost. Listen to it. 
most Christian and very high princess, my argument for the restitution of the Holy Temple to the Holy Militant Church is the following. At this time, I have seen and put in study to look into all the scriptures, cosmography, histories, chronicles, and philosophy, and other art, arts, which our Lord opened to my understanding. I could sense his hand upon me, so that it became clear to me that it was feasible to navigate from here to the Indies. And he unlocked within me the determination to execute the idea. Did you get that? He's attributing his motivation for the voyage to the Holy Spirit as he read the scriptures. And I came to your highness with this ardor. All those who heard about my enterprise rejected it with laughter, scoffing at me. Now all the school kids know that part. Neither the sciences which I mentioned above nor the authoritative citations from them were of any avail. In only your highnesses remain faith and constancy. Who doubts that this illumination was from the Holy Spirit? This is the words of Columbus. I attest that he, the Spirit, with marvelous rays of light, consoled me through the holy and sacred scriptures. A clear, a strong and clear testimony with 44 books of the Old Testament and four Gospels with 23 epistles of those blessed apostles, encouraging me to proceed. And continually, without ceasing for a moment, they inflame me with a sense of great urgency. Now, I ended there on the screen, but let me read you one more paragraph. Our Lord wished to perform the clearest miracle in this matter of the, word of the voyage to the Indies to console me and others in this matter of the Holy Temple. I spent seven years in your royal court arguing the case with so many persons of such authority and learned in all the arts. And in the end, they concluded that all was idle nonsense. And with this, they gave up the project. Yet, the outcome will be the fulfillment of what our Redeemer Jesus Christ said and had said aforehand by the mouth of the Holy Prophets. And so there is every reason to believe that this other prophecy concerning the voyage to the Indies will become manifest. And being sure of what we hope for, it, if what has been said does not suffice, I offer as support the Holy Gospel in which Jesus stated that everything would pass away but his wonderful word. And with this he said that it was utterly necessary for all that was written by him and the prophets to be fulfilled. That's Christopher Columbus. Those of you who have been taught that he was the murderer and the plunderer and the killer and the person that we should destroy and have nothing to do with. If these words truly represent the attitude of Christopher Columbus, and there's no reason to doubt it, Levin was correct when he stated that Columbus was a man with an obsession. But he was wrong in implying that it was an obsession to explore merely to discourage land and gold. Columbus's obsession was to hasten the return of Christ by taking the Gospels to the islands of the sea. Now, after citing various biblical passages, Columbus quotes to show how God prophesied the use of gold to restore Jerusalem from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 5 through 10. Brigham concludes this. That's the writer of this book. The fundamental objective of the enterprise of the new world was the cause of the gospel 
and goal was to serve only as a medium to exchange to defend Christian values in Spain, in the Mediterranean, in the Holy Land, and in the, Indian, and in the, in the Indies. She further concludes, quote, The biblical doctrine that provided Christopher Columbus with the strongest motive for his high mission was the second coming of Jesus Christ. Has anyone ever told you that? And so by all indications, Columbus is what we would call today a premillennialist who believed in the eminent return of our Lord Jesus Christ. His son, Bartholomew, described his religious fervor by saying, quote, In matters of religion, he was so strict that for fasting and saying all the canonical offices, that is, for prayer, he might have been taken for a member of a religious order. In other words, his religious uh, life was so fervent that you could take him for a minister of the gospel. Amazing. Columbus himself, in the book of prophecies, likened himself to Paul, who was the chief of sinners, but yet had found grace and mercy before God. And also to David, who although had sinned grievously, had been forgiven and was a man after God's own heart. That is Columbus. He actually said that to the queen and the king that he had asked forgiveness for any of the evils that he had been responsible for and pleaded forgiveness. And said in spite of that, he was just like David, a man after God's heart. Brigham also said, quote, Columbus, for all his navigational expertise and for all his courage, without the inspiration from the Bible, would not have discovered America or the Bahamas. Now that gives us a little different perspective on our discovery, doesn't it? It should. In this light, then, we must not forget that because of Columbus, the gospel was first preached in the New World in the Spanish language. Regardless of what else came with it or afterwards, Columbus's trip to the Bahamas 508 years ago today brought the gospel to this, to this region. In fact, one could say it was Columbus who brought Christ to these islands. Have you ever heard that? What was his first act? upon putting his foot on Guanahani. He renamed it what? San Salvador. Do you know what that means? The Savior's Island. The Savior's Land. The first thing he did was to claim these islands in the name of Jesus Christ. One, is, one of his recorded observations of the beautiful, peaceful people he met on the island was this. They would easily be made Christians without force. It's one of the first observations they made of the first Bahamians. They could easily become Christians without force. In fact, he took six of these Taino or Arawak Indians back with him to Spain where immediately upon his return, they were baptized in the royal court with King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella acting as proud godparents. Get the significance of this. The first fruit of Columbus's trip to this part of the world 
was to take six of the first Bahamians back to the royal court. And they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ with the king and queen being God-bearers. Have you ever heard that? He had a unique way of signing his name. S-A-S-X-M-Y. They had little problems figured out until finally they did. It means servant I am of the most high savior. Followed by the names Christ, Mary, and Jesus. That's how he signed his name. Does that sound like a killer? Regardless of religious and political culture of the day that impacted upon Columbus's actions, one cannot and must not lose sight of his personal devotion to God and to the Bible as the word of God. This fact is evident and adds significance and meaning to many of his actions recorded in our history books, and which, which is more often than not not even commented upon by historians who seek to revise the true or the rest of the story concerning Columbus. Now, while he himself acknowledged many mistakes and sins and misdeeds during his travels, and he asked God's forgiveness for them, it must also be remembered that most of the crimes attributed to him were in fact not done by him personally, but by others who came after him. Now, I don't mean to defend Christopher Columbus here by no means. So I don't want to even pass judgment on whether he was a saint or a sinner. I leave that to you, and I leave that to the just God of the universe. I simply want to put a little objectivity into what has turned into be quite an emotional factor in our celebrations today and has given our people a wrong picture of who this man really was. In the words of Jesus Christ himself, I say to these critics, let him who has no sin cast the first stone. Of all people who should celebrate Columbus Day, it's Christians. You see, if the rest of the story is truly told, Columbus's landfall on our Savior's island on this day in, 19, in 1492 was the introduction of the gospel to the new world. It was probably the greatest missionary advance since the time of the Apostle Paul himself. But we've missed it. It's amazing. We've missed it. Listen carefully. From a human perspective, the new world was discovered by Columbus by mistake. He thought that he had found a shorter route to India, Japan, and China. These cities made famous by Marco Polo. Instead, from a spiritual evangelistic perspective, if he had gone where he had planned to go, we would not have had the gospel of Jesus Christ when we did. One is not too far-fetched to compare this event with that in the life of the Apostle Paul and his missionary adventures. You remember, he wanted to go into Eastern Europe with the gospel. You remember that? The Holy Spirit stopped him, prevented him from doing so, and instead he led him to the west, into Macedonia. If Paul had gone where he had planned on going, our Christian history in the Western world would be completely different. The Western world, spiritually speaking, would be where the Eastern world is as far as Christianity is concerned. The same thing might be said of Columbus's mission to the New World. From a religious or Christian perspective, it could have had the same kind of impact. 
if he had gone to China. We would have had the Chinese coming to the Bahamas as missionaries rather than vice versa in earlier days. Our entire Christian heritage can legitimately trace back to Columbus kneeling on the beach at Guanahani and claiming it in the name of Christ by renaming it San Salvador, the Savior's Island. That's where our Christianity began on this side, regardless of what happened afterwards. But this is where the hard spiritual lessons of today's celebration wrenches our hearts as Christians, nonetheless. Because rather than these islands becoming a stronghold for Christ immediately following Columbus's discovery, and in spite of his good intentions, these islands became instead a stronghold for goal-hungry pagan Spanish adventurers who succeeded in almost annihilating the entire population of these islands in less than a half century after they were discovered by the Christ-bearer, Christopher Columbus. It was not until more than a full century and a quarter later, specifically under William Sale, that Christianity was truly established in these islands. But even this historical contribution harks back to Columbus's discovering the New World and landing on Guanahani, which he renamed his Savior's Island. However, Columbus, had he been able to follow through with his spiritual convictions recorded in his book called the Book of Prophecies, would have been known not as the Savior, but probably as the missionary to the Indians. He probably would have been known as the first missionary to Bahamian people, rather than as is commonly known today, regarding him as the executioner. In other words, Columbus, for whatever reason, failed to maximize his privileged opportunity for Jesus Christ and for becoming recognized as perhaps the world's greatest missionary. I personally still recognize him as such. However, and this is the whole point of this, believe it or not, this should not prevent us with 508 years hindsight and the testimony of Columbus himself for viewing his voyage as being a missionary adventure for Jesus Christ. And by that, be challenged afresh ourselves to take the gospel to those who have not yet heard its glorious message. Consider, man like Columbus way back in his time, that was his fervor to take the gospel to the Indians, to the isles rather, of the sea. This book makes that clear. And he set out to do something about it in spite of difficulties. For years and years and years, he's ridiculed. But Columbus's failure to follow through with his evangelistic mission should not be a stumbling block to prevent us from following through with our mission in this year, 2008 AD. The mission still stands. The mandate that he responded to still stands. It's still the same today. What is it? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 508 years ago, 
To Columbus, Bahamian Indians were those every creature. Today, there are some thousand or more, 1,200 or more so-called hidden peoples of the world. Those who have not yet fully heard the gospel, and many of them live in the Bahamas. You have many hidden peoples in the Bahamas if you define them as never hearing the gospel. It is estimated that they number some 3 billion of the almost 7 billion people who populate the world today. Let me ask you, do you have as a professing Christian the fortitude, the willingness, and the commitment of a Columbus to take the gospel to these people, wherever they may be found, regardless of what it costs you? Be careful how you criticize him if you are not. Are your convictions as strong as his that Christ was coming soon? Are your conviction as strong as his that his return, Christ's return, is imminent? Does this conviction on your part translate into action as it did for Columbus? Be careful how you criticize him if they're not. I believe that these are some of the spiritual challenges that today's celebration posed upon us as Christians. We like to look for it as a day that we could go on the beach or go to Miami shopping. Is that a true Christian response in light of the fact that what Columbus is responding to was the call upon his life to spread the gospel? Will another 500 and year, 508 years be necessary for the gospel to reach to every creature of our world? Or will we be motivated to hasten the return of Christ by doing all we can to proclaim the gospel to these who have never heard, as Don Christopher Columbus did? So in conclusion then, this is the conclusion of my conclusion. Was Columbus a saint or a sinner? After 508 years, that question is still difficult to answer for some. But one question that you can answer without difficulty is this. Are you a sinner? Are you a saint or a sinner? The criteria for making this judgment is simple. Have you discovered new life in Jesus Christ? Have you become a new creation, a new world in Christ? Are you consciously anticipating a spiritual new world to come in Christ? Friends, listen. A saint is a Christian. A Christian is a person who through regeneration is a new creation, who is now awaiting through resurrection to be given a new body, which then through translation will be placed through restoration in a new world, a new Jerusalem. To put it another way, a saint is a new man waiting a new body that will be placed in a new world. One becomes a saint not by dying, but upon discovering new life. That new life found in Jesus Christ, 
And when we place our faith in him, we discover the one who is life. And he imparts new life to us as a result of our faith in him. Friends, listen carefully. Today could become your discovery day if you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Columbus is in the hand of God, and God is a just God, the just God of all the earth. He has already determined, based upon Columbus's personal choice, whether the admiral is a saint or a sinner. Today, right now, you have the opportunity to make your choice. Only you can do it. Listen to these words of the Apostle Paul to that effect. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting man's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. That's the glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that Columbus himself wanted to proclaim. Here then is my appeal, even as it was the apostles. We are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God and discover a new life in Christ. Please bow with me in a word of prayer. Take a few moments of quiet reflection, please. If today you've been prompted by the Spirit to recognize that you are an old creation, meaning that you are still under the condemnation of your forefather, Adam. That simply means that you, like me and everyone else in this building, is a sinner because we have come short of God's expectations for us, his standards for us. You recognize also that the result, the reason, or rather the, the wages of your sin is separation from God. You are separated from him even further than, or farther than Spain was separated from these Bahama Islands in 1492, the great gulf exists between you and God. But that gulf has been crossed through all of the darkness of the sufferings, the penalty of our sin by Jesus Christ himself. Now when you place faith in him, recognize that he died in your place. You will enter a new world spiritual world of regeneration. You become a new person in Christ. You become a child of God.
Would you do that right now? This is not a decision or a transaction between you and me or anyone else here. It's between you and God. Now, if you do make that, I would love to have you tell me that you've done it. You don't have to come up here to do it. You don't have to walk down an aisle to do it. You don't have to sign a piece of paper. You don't have to stand up to do it. You can just say in your heart right now to God, God, I'm a sinner, and I believe that Christ died for me and was raised again for my justification. Oh, God, I cry out to you now in faith. I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. You could do that right now. And just tell us afterwards. Father, thank you for your word. Powerful, alive. Thank you that you've given us the supreme privilege of taking the gospel to every creature, to the end of the earth. Thank you for the great example of Christopher Columbus, even though he was weak just as many, all of us are. And may we use Discovery Day as a motivation to share the gospel, not only with those across the sea, but those who live next door to us, those in office and in school, Help us, we pray, to be faithful to the mandate. And all of God's people said,